0: Shalom, Uracha, hello, and blessings upon you, and welcome to Jerusalem, the podcast of Milk and Honey. I'm your grateful host, Jake Gillis, and I'm sitting here in Studio 509, which is a very fancy name for my apartment. No studio, just an apartment. Actually, I'm just sitting on my couch in clothes, I'm dressed, no PJs or underwear, but I technically could. Um, Just wanted to let you know that. Here at Jerusalem, we bring you stories of those who have a connection and a love for Israel. Each week, we'll have a guest from a different field or area of life food, music, religion, literature, tech, startups, etc. And they will share their love of Israel, their own personal story and background, why they love Israel, why they do what they do. Israelis, non Israelis, people who are have love and connection to Israel, uh, whoever that may be. Today, I'll start by sharing a bit about Jerusalem. A whole community with blogs, art, music, and other creative forms. We're not just a podcast. Uh, it's a whole community of ideas with a blog, you know, similar to Hevria and uh, some other amazing communities. Shout out to Hevria and Elad Naharai and that whole amazing community who has been so uh, inspiring and really just wonderful. So thank you so much for that. Um, In terms of you getting involved, uh, today we put up an application for blogging with us. Um, Everyone is more than welcome to uh, blog their ideas, their opinions regularly, however often they'd like. Uh, We're so excited to have people share their own ideas. That's inspired by a number of things, you know. Times of Israel, also the Players Tribune, uh, which is the publication that Derek Jeter uh, of the Yankees, formerly of the Yankees, he uh, developed for athletes to share their own story. You know, it's great to be interviewed uh, by by journalists, by reporters. Possibly even better to have it from the mouths of babes, directly unfiltered. So that's what we want to give to you, uh, and we hope that you'll take us up on that. So we'd love to have you get involved, and there will be more to come for that, you know for sure. Um, keep up to date on our on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, the website, um, and do know that we will have an episode every Sunday that will be released by 6 p.m. Uh, more information on that to come. So let's get right into it. A few days ago, I was so honored to sit down with a fascinating, sweet genuine, articulate guest, many more positive adjectives also, uh, Nadav Saud, who is an advisor for human rights and social affairs at the permanent mission of Israel to the United Nations, so the delegation, the Israeli delegation to the UN, uh, which is amazingly fascinating. I'm, I'm super uh, pumped. I was very, very pumped uh, to speak with Nadav, and I'm really pumped to, to have you listen to his amazing uh, thoughts and insights into working at the UN and resolutions against Israel and a very interesting uh, resolution that he had a big hand in um, to come that will come out soon. Yes, yeah, so Nadav uh, was here and i um, going to have you listen to the interview. We will have uh, a polished full interview available, you know, the, the full interview, you know, we sat down for more than an hour and, and we like to, you know, keep it a little shorter um, to keep your, your interest and your attention. Uh, so, I'm very excited to have Nadav on the show. And, you know, just uh, to say a few things in this in this first week, last week was more of an introduction, this week is starting, you know, every week we'll have guests. Uh, So for for myself, I could definitely come up with some Scott Rogowski type nicknames, but Scott stands alone in hosting So I'll just try to learn from him and maybe have one next week Feel free to suggest nicknames if you want, but keep them nice and appropriate. After all, I'm very sensitive um, and I don't want to cry myself to sleep, although it's a great release, Um, you know, men should definitely feel uh, empowered to cry, you know, there is definitely toxic masculinity and Des Bryan and T.Y. Hilton uh, when his wife had a baby, you know, they let the the tears go and that was very inspiring. So, you know, have a good cry uh, whenever you need to. So moving on from that, let's suffice it to say that this show is more of a an H Jew than an HQ. And we're excited to have listeners and guests of all faiths and creeds. All right, welcome back. Shavua Tov to all, and I hope everyone had a restful and rejuvenating Shabbat, however you chose to spend it. Our Israeli listeners will be experiencing Shvizut Yom Aleph, which basically means like the manic Monday that we have where so much is happening after a relaxing weekend. It's slang, and we will be featuring a lot of Hebrew and Hebrew slang on the show. I love Hebrew slang and Hebrew, as I mentioned in the first episode. I'm very inspired and enjoy uh, Tel Aviv One Radio's podcast, Streetwise Hebrew, hosted by Guy Sheret, who does an amazing graffiti tour in Tel Aviv and talks a lot about slang and the Hebrew language. And I cannot wait to get to do that, Bezrat Hashem. Uh, Hopefully my next time in Israel, that would be amazing. And uh, it's a great podcast, so you should definitely listen. And just to clarify why it's called Shvizu Yom Aleph is that in Israel, their Sunday is like our Monday. It's the first day of the work week. They usually have a Friday in order to prepare for Shabbat. They have a Friday and Saturday, and that transforms their Thursday night into something similar to our Saturday night, meaning the night before a free day of the weekend. And one more idea about Hebrew and slang. One of my favorite responses to how are you in Hebrew? And to say how are you in Hebrew, there are a few ways, manishma what's happening, mash Lumcha, or Mashlomek, depending male or female. You know what how are you doing? What is your completeness? A few different ways to interpret that. Mahamat Sav, what's the situation? Manya what in, what's interesting that's happening? Maholech, what's going on? Echolech, how's it going? Quite a few ways to say it. Everyone has their favorite way, um, and my favorite response is Hakol dvash, which is everything is honey, everything is sweet. So I think we have some sweetness hopefully for you this morning with our dose of positivity about Israel. Baruch Hashem for all of you know the the guests that we're going to have and the opportunity. Uh, to, to have the show. I'm really grateful and I'm really excited and I hope that you all will get involved and join and, and spread the love, spread the Jerusalem love. So here is the interview with Nadav Yisod. Nadav Yisod was born and raised in Herzliya Israel. There's a bit of a joke with slang as there's a lot of cool slang and tricks with the hebrew language there's Herzliya pituach which is like the developed fancy beachfront area of Herzliya, beautiful and then there's Herzliya kipuach which is like the joke because it's not it means it's not as developed or fancy uh, but it it rhymes and there's the plan word so i hope you enjoy that even a fraction of how i enjoy it he earned his llb which is a bachelor of law but it actually you know in either three or four years usually uh, Israeli bachelor programs are three years um, they are able to to practice law after they pass the exam uh, there's no need for a bachelor's and then law school just one degree that they focus on and he got that at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem which is where I happen to study abroad it's an amazing place Uh, And Nadav is a licensed lawyer in Israel. At the age of 17, he joined the Labor Party, and at the age of 18, he took a gap year in between high school and the army. He was elected to be the national chairman of the Labor Party Youth Movement, which is really incredible and very impressive, and of course, he was very humble about it. In 2004, Nadav enlisted to the IDF and served as a commander in the Artillery Corps and also as the Chief of Staff for the Chief of Artillery, which Again, super impressive, really awesome guy. During his university years, Nadav was active in different student initiatives, including as a representative and later the vice chairman of the Law Student Association. Nadav's interest in the relationship between Israeli Jews and world Jewry led him to spend a summer as an emissary for the Jewish Agency at a Jewish summer camp in Rhode Island. This passion later led Nadav to his work for the Israel Government Fellows Program, which brings Jewish professionals from around the world to a year-long internship in Israeli government offices. Truly an amazing program, it's a Massa program. You can go and there's funding to work in different government jobs in Israel for a whole year. Um, It's truly incredible, highly recommended. I wish I had done it. Um, Maybe I would think about doing it in the future. I already studied abroad and used the Massa funding, but plenty of funding. Massa has hundreds of programs, really incredible organization. Um, So check them out. We'll have links on the Facebook page uh, and the website. And after graduation, Nadav worked as a political campaigns director, working for party, primary, municipal, and national elections. Later on, Nadav served as the spokesperson and parliamentary assistant to member of Knesset, Mickey Rosenthal, from the Labor Party. He's now in Machanat Zioni, which is the Zionist Union Party, um, of under Bougie Herzog, and Sibi leadership before, Uh, Mickey is a journalist and a media personality. Uh, Nadav spoke very highly of him. Since November 2014, Nadav is serving as the human rights advisor to the Israeli mission to the UN. Uh, As we were saying earlier, dealing with a variety of topics such as the Middle East conflict, gender equality, LGBTI, aging, disabilities, and more. And there are a few videos of Nadav online speaking at the UN on those topics, Uh, specifically some ones that I watched recently, which were really amazing, um, or aging, where he... Gives a you know a personal example of his grandmother who even at her older age um, is still volunteering and doing really awesome things just living life to the fullest um, and he also spoke about drug policy so those are fascinating again we'll have the links um, on the website and on facebook his his main topics are israeli political system israel and the un middle east human rights the un and israeli society So without further ado, here is Nadavya Sode. Here at the podcast of Milk and Honey, we love to feature events within the Israel sphere, projects, passion projects, people. Um, So feel free to to shout out and let us know uh, if you'd like to be featured in one of these. Announcements. Um, and and today's is for party for truth, which is something that's very close to my heart. I recently completed a ten week Israel advocacy boot camp with uh, the ZOA's Fuel for Truth, an amazing Israel advocacy program for young professionals. It's uh, really fantastic. It exists here in New York, also in D.C. and recently. It has spread to Miami and Boston, uh, so everyone should definitely check it out. We'll have links. Um, def- definitely consider doing it. It's really an amazing program. Um, and for the time being, come to party for truth. It's going to be amazing. It's on this Thursday, January twenty fifth at seven thirty. Should go until about ten thirty. It's at Monarch Rooftop Lounge, seventy one West thirty fifth Street, the eighteenth floor, New York, New York, one zero zero eighteen. Um, and on the there's a Facebook event and provide the link and there are tickets available right now they're $36 um, and that sale ends on Tuesday and then if you get it Wednesday and Thursday it goes up to $40 so be sure to get your ticket soon it is going to be truly amazing Um, I'll just tell you a few things about it come one come all bring a guest and hashtag party for truth Join the members of FFT and its most recent bootcamp class for a night of networking, mingling, and fueling your curiosity about Israel and the Middle East. One hour open bar, 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. Drink specials, silent auction, some amazing, amazing things at the silent auction from you know, various, various uh, places, stores, programs, events. Uh, so be sure to check that out. The DJ is going to be amazing. Photo booth, mingling with other young professionals, going to be incredible networking. The co-chairs of the events and alumni engagement are Jess Caymans and Alexis Straddle. Event committee, Natasha Legasi, Jordana McMahon, Naomi Mavshevich, Amanda Nessel, Hagai Ringel, Anna Rothstein, Jonathan Sinker, Alana Zevi. Um, they were all part of the recent cohort uh, that I was also honored to participate in. Really amazing people. Um, they're all doing such great things. So shout-out congrats to Amanda for winning a Jewish People's Choice Award uh, for making a difference with Chabad. Uh, so congratulations to her. Welcome Nadal. it's such an honor mm-hmm. to have you. Thank you very
1: much. Eh? I'm happy to be here with you and this lovely place that we're sitting in and enjoying a uh, lovely conversation.
0: Oh, it's, uh, it's beautiful and it's a pleasure. For me as well. Um, I guess we can just get started with, you know, what does it mean to be a human rights advisor? So
1: the UN has many topics that it covers, but there are three main pillars to the UN work: uh, international peace and security, development, and human rights. Not in order of uh, importance, but uh, <laughs> they're all interlinked, and then the intersectionality of all three topics is um, immense. You cannot have peace without development, without human rights. You cannot have human rights without peace, without development. It's all very much connected, but specifically my field is human rights. Um, I cover different topics, the wide variety of topics that human rights uh, entail, from disabilities to gender equality, LGBTI rights, um, refugees migrants, rights of children, uh, and and much more. It's a very extensive portfolio that um, me and my head of department cover uh, together, and I've been doing this for the past uh, three and a half years.
0: Yeah, that's truly incredible. Um, yeah. You know, I was I was just wondering, you have like a particularly impressive career path that led up to this, and, and I was wondering how how you got here.
1: Um, we'll start with the beginning because the beginning is extremely important. Um, and I think the beginning also impacted my life's choices uh, throughout the years. Um, both of my parents are teachers. Most of my family, my extens- extended family, are teachers. Um, so education is a huge component of our, of my life, of my family's life. Um, and education, I think, is one of the is the ba- most basic um, profession that you give back. To your community, um, you think of a rabbi, you think of a of a doctor, you think of a um, a garbage disposal person that clears your street. That's also an important crucial public service. Uh, but I don't think that's I don't think there is another profession except for education that impacts the life of so many uh, from such a young age. Up to my mother-in-law now is, and she's in you know in her beginning of her 60s and she is uh, I hope she doesn't uh, <laughs> get offended that I mentioned her age but she's now doing her PhD in Tel Aviv University so it, it, it goes with you throughout your life cycle um, and that is what I was taught I was taught to give back um, since day one uh, whether it be the experiences that my dad had in the army or my mom had in the army, but altogether that educational component that you give back. You try to educate, you try to teach, you try to make people's lives better. Give them the tools. Um, and from that, i I'm so impressed and so... You know... Um, uh, so around that topic the whole time that it that's what i wanted to do Um, and not necessarily education but the 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 aspect of it that you touch people's lives and you make them better Um, and through that i actually became uh, very much socially active in um, the social justice um, scene in israel already during high school Uh, then i did my gap year Um, instead of going to the army directly i Extended my uh, in between time from graduation to uh, my draft to uh, volunteer for a year. I was the uh, chairperson for the Young Labor, of the Labor Party in Israel. Um, and ever since, throughout my Army service, which I did in the Artillery Corps, um, and after that, during my college years as a law student, being very active within the Student Union and being very involved in what's happening specifically for me was in Jerusalem, where I studied the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, so also being very active in stuff that are happening all the time within Jerusalem and how it impacts students, young people, older people, the local community of Jerusalem, whether it be Jews or Arabs, um, foreigners who live in the city, there's a, the Jerusalem, you know, Jerusalem Love, that's the name of the podcast, and it, and, and Jerusalem Love comes from so many people, from so many backgrounds. Um, so and, and that also grabs grabs you very um, very early on when you when you migrate basically to Jerusalem from Ertalea, Um you real feel the city and, and the feel and the city needs its people to be active, and the student community there is extremely active and I had the privilege of taking part in those activities on campus outside of campus. Um, yeah, and from there on, I continued as an attorney. I practiced um, a little bit. i well, not the uh, best of lawyers, uh, also by choice. It uh, wasn't the field for me, but I did practice education law. That's my specialty, um, which is in the public administration field. So also, again, always public. Um, and during my university years, I also worked in... The Begin center in jerusalem uh, working with uh, the jewish agency for israel and the prime minister's office on a very unique project called israel government fellows i had the privilege to work as the logistical and academic uh, coordinator for the program for a year uh, so every every thing that i do i try to have that public sector um orientation of it that you give back you get a lot in return but you give back and i think that's something that is very um, very important, and it's also happily, it's something that in Israel we have in abundance. Um, social activities, being socially active on issues that you care about, is whether it be uh, could be even the topics that I deal now, whether it be disabilities, refugees, um, economic disparity. All these issues are very much um, are being dealt with Israel's civil society on a day-to-day basis and it's extremely active. I don't know how it is it's very active in the US as well, but I think that in Israel um, it's like you say you have two Jews in a room, you've got 15 opinions. <laughs> so in Israel you've got such a proliferation of organizations that do work on the ground and it's, it's spectacular. Yeah.
0: That is truly incredible, and you know. And
1: from that on, I, I, I forgot to, like to finish. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, after graduation, after working as a um, as an attorney for a year, I moved on, and then I was the spokesperson and senior political advisor for a member of Knesset from the Labor Party for two years.
0: Miki Rosenthal.
1: Miki Rosenthal, a former journalist, uh, one of Israel's uh, top journalists uh, in the past and one of, I think, the best uh, members of Knesset today. I'm I'm a bit biased, obviously, um, but um, I really appreciate the opportunity that he gave me to work um, with him during those years. And then my wife and I, uh, which I love dearly, um, we moved here. She started her master's degree at Cardozo, Cardozo Law School, Yeshiva University, um, and we moved together. And I started working here at the mission as the human rights advisor. Yeah.
0: Wow. And we're so happy that you decided to do that. Um, uh, it's really, yeah, it's really special work that you're doing. Um, Thank you. And it doesn't go without appreciation. Appreciate it. Thank you. There's, there's so much to unpack there, um, and you know, I, I don't wanna. Unfortunately, I can't pick up on every last detail, but I would, I would like to ask you. You know, it was just Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, yesterday, and the upcoming parsha is Bo, and it's about the Jewish people leaving Egypt. You know, people who are under duress, um, getting out of that, and and being able to to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and move on. Um, I was wondering. You know, you're fighting for these rights on a national and a world uh, level what does that mean to you?
2: Um, it means everything
0: because basically
1: if human rights are not being respected the basic dignity of a human being is not being respected Um, not to overuse the um, uh, the bible verse that says that every man but we add women Um, to it is born the image of God. Um, If that is true, we have to work constantly to respect everybody, everyone, every person no matter what, skin color, religion, faith, culture. Culture is a major, you know, there's a lot of different cultures while you still have the same religion. Um, and that impacts people. It impacts countries. It impacts the world at large. So, um, if we truly um, and wholeheartedly want to promote the human dignity of each person, we have to uphold human rights. It doesn't work any other way. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, in terms
0: of within human rights, you mentioned some of the. You know the the paths some of within within the category um, some things that are close to your own heart. You mentioned aging and um, gender equality, rights of children, refugees, LGBT rights. Um, what are what are some that are closest to your heart right now? Um,
1: I think that the three main topics that I enjoy the most. Um, Dealing with is um, disabilities, um, aging, and LGBTI rights. Um, I take out gender equality from those three because gender equality is everything. It, it connects to every minute of every person's life. Um, it's half of the world. It's more than half of the world population. So just to say that gender equality is not one of those three top priorities kind of misrepresentation because it's everything. It's everywhere and all, all the time. Um, but I truly do and I really enjoy working on these topics. Um, and, and I like to and, and in these topics I like to bring my you know, my own personal stories. This is something that not every diplomat um, is, feels comfortable with. And I think that eventually or all, all delegates that sit in the room, we're also we represent a country, we represent policy that is being determined back in capital, but we're also people. Uh, the person to person relations and the personal stories that we can share between delegates can make all the difference. Um, and that's why we try at least to incorporate in our statements and our discussions as much as we can and as much as is appropriate at that, you know, point. To actually get those personal stories and to give you just one, one or two examples, um, two years ago in 2015, I had the opportunity to deliver our national statement during the session on aging of the General Assembly and um, I was sitting down, I was writing the statement and, and you know, you had the, the bullet points that you need to cover, the theme of the event of that year, etc, etc. I said, how can I address aging without talking about my grandparents? and their hardships and their fun and the good things that happen to them so I decided to incorporate within my statement a reference to my grandmother who was a Holocaust survivor from Romania who immigrated to Israel in the early 50s after the war um, and that is something very unique diplomats don't usually do that and I think it's very important in order to make it more humane and between delegates and not just policy on paper but it's the impact on people's lives eventually and we are talking UN so it's pretty far from the day-to-day lives of people but the impact that we make here trickles down to policy within countries within countries to local authorities from local authorities to the people themselves who enjoy or don't enjoy um, those from those decisions benefit or don't benefit from those decisions To give it a more, a real face to the statement, I incorporated the mentioning of my grandmother who's celebrating her 90th birthday soon, actually, uh, thank you very much, and we're very excited for that, uh, during Pesach, uh, so even double the fun. So I incorporated that, or when we had a discussion on the effects of drugs, uh, which is a terrible, terrible, it has a terrible impact on people's lives it destroys entire families and unfortunately my family does have that in, in our track record um, drug abuse um, within my family and, and, and I thought it was pertinent for the people and not just for the diplomats themselves but for civil society that attends for people across the world that are listening I don't know how many but those who are listening To understand that we here determine policy on the global level, it touches us personally as well. Um, And it's not something that we should be shy of, it's not something that is not nice, kind of, but it's it's life. And we have a life as well, And, and the topics that we deal with impact us as well.
0: Absolutely, Um, and it's beautiful that you have the chance to share those stories and I was fortunate enough to watch um, the videos of you delivering your speeches and you um, You know you delivered them quite beautifully and and it goes without saying that you know mentioning those personal stories Is very moving and it certainly does um, You know you're a very like within the UN within the delegation You're you're representing a lot of people you're representing the country but you're, you're a person first, you know, human rights starts with human. Um, I I wanted to backtrack a little. You mentioned gender equality um, as one of the, you know, your passions that, like, goes without saying because it touches on so many things and affects so many people. And you you recently played a big role um, in passing a resolution that dealt with um, the topic of women and gender equality. Could you tell us a uh, bit sure, about that? Sure, of
1: course. Um, that is one of our, um, I think the, one of the biggest, not to, you know, overstate and to give myself too much credit, um, but it's, it's a it's a joint effort that I think is one of the most beautiful um, actions that the Israeli mission has ever done in the UN. And there's been a lot of beautiful things that we've done and important stuff that we've done within the UN, whether it be... You know, only for the Jewish people more Um, For instance, declaring making Yom Kippur as a UN holiday Or bringing kosher food to the UN cafeteria Um, Which, by the way, I don't keep kosher personally Um, But the fact that there's not been kosher food at the UN cafeteria Meaning, not just the Israeli delegation, but the Jewish employees that might want to keep kosher the Jewish employees of the UN itself, the staff, to not have that
2: opportunity—that's not—it's that's
1: not doing right by them. So, so those are also very important aspects, and we have other resolutions that we passed but this one I think is because of a couple of components, factors that were just amazing to see that it's so. The title of the resolution is. Preventing and eliminating sexual harassment in the workplace, um, and that was a year before the Me Too movement started. Uh, we didn't predict this. Uh, I hope, um, you know, I hope that our efforts only contribute to the to the to that fight um, against sexual harassment. Um, but the fact that this is the first time, this is Israel's first human rights resolution. This is the first time that a the UN itself has ever been introduced to the topic. No one has ever raised sexual harassment in the workplace, anywhere at the UN. So it's the first time that Israel submits a resolution on human rights. It's the first time that the UN even handles sexual harassment in the form of a resolution that actually determines policy. And third, it's the first time, to the best of my knowledge at least, that uh, an Israeli blue and white resolution passes in consensus in a committee that has countries that are not our best friends. We have on the committee, it's, it's a resolution that was passed through the Commission on the Status of Women, which is the second largest event of the UN after the General Assembly high-level weeks. And in the committee there, we have countries like Iran, Kuwait, Qatar, countries that never vote with Israel, or more than that, countries that usually call for a vote against Israel. Um, countries that we don't have diplomatic ties with, some are even enemy states declared, um, and and the forum don't. Uh, I'm not not being accurate with the definitions uh, of exactly um, an enemy state or not an enemy state. But uh, we all know the relations between Iran and Israel. The fact that a country calls for our annihilation kind of makes it an enemy state. And that's, that's pretty obvious. Um, so having those countries in the committee and still having an Israeli. Resolution being passed in consensus um, was remarkable. It was truly remarkable, and we're waiting for the report uh, that the resolution requested. And once we get that report, we'll see how we can move forward and tackle this terrible phenomenon in a in a more comprehensive and a better way.
0: Wow, Yeshar um, Koach, um, such a meaningful victory. Thank you. Victory, um.
1: But it's—I I have to say—it's a team effort. It's a team effort by my head of department, who's an extremely talented diplomat, Nelly Shiloh, and our wonderful friends at the Department for Legal Affairs and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, and the effort was led by Attorney uh, Levi Silva Benaya, which uh, an amazing legal advisor. Um, so the, the, the team effort there was, was really what made this possible I think. Yeah.
0: Teamwork makes the dream work. Completely. Completely.
1: Yeah.
0: And Dav, uh, you mentioned you know, some of those relationships, some of the other countries on, on this committee, um, you know, even on the UN Human Rights Council, that might not have such a great relationship with Israel. Mm-hmm. Can you sort of walk us through, there's certainly that professional tension. Does the personal tension exist? Are you going for drinks with diplomats from Iran and Kuwait? Are, are there smiles? Have you ever had an instance where someone, possibly a personal colleague or friend of yours, came to you and said, I'm, I'm really sorry about this, but you know, I have to vote in this way, uh, but you know, I don't want it to affect our relationship?
1: Um, so. I'll start with this. Personal relationships are fundamental to the work of a diplomat. You cannot have, you cannot function without having those connections, without having those personal relationships between diplomats. Um, I don't sit for coffee with my Iranian uh, colleague. Uh, we don't speak. Um, but I do have countries that we don't have diplomatic relations with which personally on a personal level I'm very good friends with
2: Um, and it it has its benefits it
1: has its downsides sometimes Um, but it's it's important it's so crucial to the work of a for your daily life as a diplomat Uh, you need to gather information you need to make um, smart choices and and you get to those smart choices by um, really um,
2: you know by having
1: the as much knowledge as you can and knowledge comes from personal relationships many times um, and besides the, and besides that, I think that if you, if you want to really immerse yourself within the work, it's it's an indispensable part of it. Um, my Palestinian colleague and I can disagree in the room on different issues, but we're very friendly to each other outside the room and inside the room as well. Very cordial, but um, outside the room, we're friendly and we can sit for coffee and chat. And not ne- not talk about work necessarily, but we can talk about life. He's got a wife and kids. I've got a wife and a cat. <laughs> it's these personal relationships relationships help you go throughout the day because without that, you'll be come do your work, go back. It's so boring. Right. The decision to work in the international arena is that you want to get to know people from different places. It's a part of it. You want to get people. You want to meet people from different places, from different cultures, from different religions, people that you won't have any other chance to meet. And the UN is the place to meet every um, every country, every member state um, from countries that we have wonderful relationships whether it be our u.s colleagues canadian colleagues australian colleagues etc two countries that we disagree fundamentally about almost everything countries that for instance the practice of female circumcision female genital mutilation is a common practice in those countries which is abhorrent you can't even you know i i every time i i I get the shivers because it's so You can't even imagine that this actually happens. But in order to tackle it, you need to know the people themselves so that your decisions and the way that you handle yourself within negotiations or discussions, debates, is more informed. And it's better to know your colleague and then react, know how to react because you know how that person... Will take it. Um, So that's very beneficial. Um, But with all of that, there is still the uniqueness of being an Israeli within the UN. Um, There's no other country like Israel in the UN. Um, I grew up in Israel. I lived most of my life in Israel, except for the past uh, four years here in New York. And I've never encountered anti-semitism in my life, I'm very fortunate.
2: Um, not in my life in Israel,
1: not in my visits abroad, or during the time I've spent here. But
2: I did at the UN,
1: when a dear colleague of mine, a good friend, approached me and told me that another colleague of ours told them,
2: um, aren't you? Is it okay that
1: you are being seen with the
2: Israel?
1: <laughs> stuff like that? You know, it, it hurts. It hurts. I'm happy to say that that person today respects me. Um, and, I've, and I've and I've I identified the situation. I've said it is unacceptable. But to make it better. Is not to detach, it's to engage and to show them that whatever is being portrayed in the media, whatever they have, whatever, you know, preconceptions that they have about Israel or Israelis or Jews, we're just like them. You wake up in the morning, you come to work, you eat, you sleep, you enjoy theater, you like going to the cinema, you like a certain football team. You appreciate culture, you appreciate literature, anything, the same as them. Um, and once they get to know you on a personal level, those fears of them, they fear. I don't fear, it's their fear.
2: That fear disappears,
1: sometimes, not always. But from my experience, if you engage in a meaningful way, with an open heart, truly, to try understand what are those fears and how you can tackle them, you can succeed. Um, and it worked for me. Hopefully, I
0: can inspire others to do the same.
2: It's
0: a, a beautiful message, for sure. You mentioned that, it, you know, when there aren't those positive outcomes and there is, you know, sort of the negativity um, surrounding Israel, surrounding the delegation. How? How does that weigh on you? You know, there are 86 percent of the resolutions that are that are brought to the UN are against Israel. You know, a country the size of New Jersey um, is is facing you know this kind of critique. How how does that you know practically? So we'll,
1: we'll be we'll be let me be the uh, the, the you know uh, the numbers guy here for a second. And Please. We need to we need to differentiate between. Um, between different issues. The Human Rights Council in Geneva, where we have an institutional bias against Israel, um, and that's a a situation that must change. There's no other way uh, if the Human Rights Council really want to address human rights issues. Um, There are several items on the agenda of the Human Rights Council. Item number four. Deals with human rights situations in the entire world except Israel. Israel has a specific agenda item of its own, item number seven. So there's a standard, and so there's, we call it triple standard, it's not even double standard. Because there's a standard for Western countries, there's a standard for developing countries from certain areas of the world, and there's the highest attainable, which is not attainable at all, standard for Israel. Um, it derives from, you know, so many reasons, from true anti-Semitism to easy political game um, and it's a numbers game, being the only um, Jewish and democratic state in the world carries its weight, its toll, no doubt. Um, so that's, that's in Geneva. Here in, in New York we have, um, there's a lot, a lot of resolutions to come to the General Assembly. Um, And there's a lot of issues within the Security Council as well. Um, But our position in the past few years, and we've worked really hard, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the mission here in New York, and our embassies around the world, have worked really hard to change the attitude towards Israel, and we've succeeded, we've succeeded. We've seen countries change their patterns of voting, we've seen uh, countries that stopped addressing us as the Zionist regime, or they have stopped um, uh, you know delivering statements in, in, in qu- on all sorts of forms that um, we should not even have. But altogether, um, we've seen uh, a very positive change and it has to do a lot with the immense work that is being done in Latin America. In Africa, the prime minister was in Africa twice last year. Uh, something that hasn't haven't been done since Golda. So Golda Meir was the last prime minister of Israel to actually visit Africa, and then last year uh, Netanyahu visited twice. Um, so that those are extremely important steps that Israel is doing. Uh, now the prime minister is in India. Um, amazing relationship that is being built. Um, between the two countries So there there is a change but still there is an institutional bias in Geneva there is an institutional bias here in New York with the fact that um, there is a division for Palestinian affairs within the Secretariat of the UN which is basically the only division the only department at the UN that is solely dedicated to the advocacy of a certain group of people I don't see a department for the Rohingya in Myanmar, or for the Tibetans, or for any other group of people. Um, so, having that, having that, uh, you know, having UNRWA and UNHCR, meaning UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, dealing with 66 million refugees all across the world. Separate to that, you have an agency that is specifically tailored for Palestinians. It's mind boggling. Why do they get special treatment where you have um, refugees around the world in the millions, tens of millions, with no, we you know, with much less resources? So so all of that is, is, is extremely um, troublesome. And we here in the mission and back in Jerusalem and our embassies around the world, we, we work really hard to. Try and make things better.
0: And, you know, your efforts are certainly commendable. Um, I, I wanted to bring up something. Again, you touched on um, sort of the t- disparity and inequality, um, you know, of UNRWA and, and having that uh, type of re- representation. I recently watched a video of Hillel Noir of UN Watch. And in 2007, he gave a speech that was banned. Um, he he started with saying seven decades ago, in the aftermath of the Nazi horrors, Eleanor Roosevelt, Rene Cassa, and other eminent figures gathered here on the banks of Geneva to reaffirm the principle of human dignity. They created the Commission on Human Rights. Today we ask, what has become of the, this noble dream? Torture, persecution, and violence against women. response Silence. The response, indifference, and the response is criminal. He then said that Harry Truman Um, called the UN do nothing, um, do no good, and and do nothing. Um, I was curious where, time and again, you know, we see these these crimes, um, these deplorable things happening in other countries, Um, and in that particular speech, the president of that committee um, so that they will not tolerate such language directed at members of the council. There wasn't proper conduct and language. Um, it could possibly seem hypocritical. You know how how do you how do you feel when um, other countries are giving an address and they're mentioning things um, that they're not being held accountable for, but Israel is being accountable for to the end extreme
1: you know it it goes back to what I was uh, saying previously it's the triple standard It's the the fact that um, Western countries have one way of being treated um, and the rest of the world have a different way and Israel has a third way yeah it's biased it's unfair um, and it's a political game um, that needs to be needs to be changed. There's no and
2: and what
1: you've mentioned about Eleanor Roosevelt and Sen and others. Those that was the group that formed the Universal Declaration on Human Rights uh, back in '48, and this year we start from, you know celebrating the 80th, the 70th uh, anniversary of that, and and. If we truly want to, you know, go to the letter of the declaration, we need to change how we conduct our business, how the UN conducts its business. It needs to cancel item number seven. It needs to stop with this obsessive obsessiveness about Israel. And to be fair and honest, it's not that we're perfect. Israel is definitely not perfect. Um, but there's so many. Issues around the world um, that needs to be handled as well that are not simply because of the reason that um, you might not have a group like uh, you know other countries that have group whether it's the African group, the Arab group, the Islamic group, the European Union, the Latin American group that has a very um, Within itself, the Americas have a very, you know, an, uh, a chain of their own conventions, regional conventions, obligatory legally. Um, Israel is uh, we're kind of a hybrid because we're uh, this this will this will this is a good example. Israel joined the UN in '49. With the establishment, Declaration of Independence. We finished with the War of Independence after the Arab armies invaded Israel. We succeeded in saving our little country. Um, later, we joined the UN in 1949. And the UN has five regional groups: a group of Latin American Caribbean, Africa, um, Asia and the Pacific, Eastern European group, and Western European and others group. Israel on the map, geographically, is a part of Asia Pacific. When Israel went to the Asia Pacific group and said, Hey, we're the new kid on the block. We want to join. And it has it bears a meaning because in order to be endorsed for candidacies within the UN, sitting on committees, positions, you have to have that endorsement by a regional group. So we went to our Asia Pacific group and our friends to the East said, ah, you know, not so much. Only about in 2004, Israel was accepted the Western European and others group.
2: So
1: think about how many years Israel was not a part of a regional group, cannot be endorsed for sitting on commissions, sitting on committees, being actually part in those decision-making processes that are so crucial and so fundamental to the works of the organization. So those groupings, when you don't have a group, and think about how long we didn't have a group, um, it bears its, its toll, and that is why, and that's a part of why the UN's treatment, the treatment of Israel within the UN, is it, it is what it is today, uh, that
0: unacceptance. Is there a way, can you imagine, you mentioned the resolution about uh, sexual harassment in the workplace and that was a huge positive step forward. Can you see a time, can you see you know, a, a place in the future, either close by or distant, that maybe this, this relationship can change? That Israel can be seen in a positive way? Israel is already
1: being seen in a positive way. Our contribution and sustainable development, whether it be on technological innovation, entrepreneurship, agriculture, tech, um, all of these things Israel gives to the world. Israel passes two resolutions a year, um, sorry, one resolution every two years, basically. It's uh, alternating two resolutions. One uh, this year we passed our agricultural um, technologies for development. Israel is a developed country, we don't need the U.N.'s assistance in order to perform, in order to have roads, infrastructure, schools, same way as the U.S. doesn't need. You don't see UNICEF working here on the rights of children because the situation here is a functioning democracy that doesn't need that. Where other places in the world where their countries are still developing, some functioning better, some functioning less, depends on... we contribute a lot. And we have good friends around the world um, And we are seen in a good light But there is that shadow all the time um, And in my belief is that the more we do good The more we engage We'll do better within the system Yes, if someone is an anti-Semite, he's an anti-Semite like I said before, sometimes you can impact him, sometimes you cannot. When it's countries, it's bigger, it's different. It's not just the individual, obviously. Um, but I truly believe that the state of Israel is an amazing, amazing place with amazing people, with great ideas, innovative entrepreneurship, no like no other. And with that... You know, chutzpah And the, they, the way that we are The, the real hardcore issues that we deal with um, it, it changes how countries see Israel How delegates see the Israeli delegates um, And eventually, yes I believe, I truly believe That things will be different but only if you continue to engage and impact and impact and impact And we do that on a daily basis We have amazing development work in Africa We have de- amazing development work in Asia We bring to Israel a year I think over a hundred, more than a hundred A um, few hundreds maybe even no, not sure about the numbers We train in Israel Golden Meir Carmel Center is a part of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs branch of development assistance, um, and we bring people to Israel. We teach them on how to be local leaders, how to how to you know deal with economy, how to open a business, how to become political, leader, how to be what is gender equality, all these issues that we teach. We have a center in Kenya, we have a place in in uh, Latin America. That the work is constant. It's constant. Um, and the impact is is incredible. It's incredible. And every think about it. every person who comes to the Golden Mount Carmel Center, the MCTC, comes back as an ambassador of Israel. And that eventually will bring good it already brings good but it will bring even better good the return is very is amazing and you make friends for life
0: absolutely yeah. uh, that's that's so inspiring um, i how how can other people get involved with with this work of engagement and this work of spreading a positive message you you are a uh, you are know, holding a position um, that, that offers you um, a certain level of resources, um, which, is, which is truly incredible. For someone who might not have um, such an esteemed background, how, how can we, how can other people get
1: There's involved? so many ways. For our New York uh, and US uh, listeners, you have so many amazing Jewish organizations that do amazing world, amazing work worldwide, not just local. Um, So if you're more interested in the international relations side of it, and not just the Israel Hasbara traditional, um, there's a lot of work being done by Jewish organizations here, and there's a wide variety of Israeli organizations that do development work across the world, whether it be Innovation Africa, which is an amazing organization working in Africa, whether it be um, Access Israel that is is working on the rights of people with disabilities, um, and, and is Really teaching the world on how to have accessible cities and how to have accessible infrastructure, and uh, Israel, uh, which is an amazing NGO that treats um, uh, in places of crises, uh, treats Syrian refugees in in Europe, um, and and. Just recently, you know, they've been everywhere. They've been in the after the earthquake in Nepal, the tsunami in the Philippines, everywhere. Uh, so that amazing work is being done, whether it be humanitarian or the day to day. Even there's an amazing NGO that does. It's a company or NGO. I'm not not 100% sure. That does circumcision in Africa. Yeah, circumcision is proven to be um, um, one of the best. Uh, forms to protect yourselves from AIDS, from attracting HIV/AIDS, um, and with an ingenious idea of how to make it surgical-free circumcision that every person can do by himself, you can protect entire populations from terrible diseases. Um, you know, maybe in, in, in Israel or the U.S. in Europe, you can you can live with AIDS today which is amazing on its own, but how to not to contract AIDS, That's kind of important. And, and that in countries where AIDS is, you know, in Africa, the, it's more, people are being affected more than in other places around the world. So that, that work is basically, you know, every person like that is an ambassador to Israel. Um, so you can do it through that, through work, through volunteering, through coming for an internship at the Permanent Mission of Israel <laughs> to the UN, which we highly encourage. We have wonderful positions within the mission to have internships uh, for students and graduates um, year-round. Um, so that's also an opportunity to have a small taste of what we do, um, whether it be in development, security, and legal affairs, and human rights, um, media. So, there's, there's plenty of opportunities, and you can always reach out. They can reach out through you, Jake, through you to me, or directly to me on Facebook. Absolutely. On whatever. I've definitely throw some links up on the,
0: on the website, on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you for that. That's sure. uh, That's incredible. You know, Israel is truly an amazing place, and it really is a light unto the nations. Um, you know, there are certain things that come up in the news and on, in the UN, um, but there there is so much to be proud of there are so many examples about like you know meat is being grown in labs you know that's going to transform the world water water filters that allow people to to drink water from anywhere personally um, my father about 5 years ago had a stroke and was um, partially paralyzed um, organizations startups like rewalk which mm. was actually highlighted in the super bowl so it's yeah. getting attention <laughs> Just allowing people who um, aren't able to walk to walk again—it's like it's mind-blowing, and I'm, I'm so—I um, feel so grateful that all of this is happening, and, and I hope that these organizations can get a lot of um, recognition for that. Do you have any other like favorite startup ideas that are that um, are popping up?
1: I think there's a lot of work being done on uh, energy uh, in Africa and water. Now those are the two. Um, I think biggest advantages that um, we have and we bring to the world. Um, Water, like you said, whether it be the filtering, but not the filtering, but one of the most difficult issues is drought. And drought has many implications, whether it be on wildlife, whether it be on households, um, nature itself, desertification. So many different impacts. And knowing how to negate that, and knowing how to desalinate water, and you know you don't have to go far, you can go to the West Coast, and go to a tiny state called California, that experiences drought almost constantly. Um, California implements Israeli technology, desalination technology, to have water, basically. Um, Israel now is experiencing uh, very, very few amounts of rain. We, don't, we, didn't, have, we didn't get much rain this, this year so far. Um, and, and it's supposed to be, and it's going to be a drought year most likely. Um, without the desalination water that we've, the technology that we've developed a few years back in order to negate that, you know, no rain, no water, um, we have water in our taps. You don't have to ration. You don't. You know. You just have it, um, and that is definitely something that um, is is being brought to the world. Um, whether it be those like could be a very you know high tech, sophisticated like Rewalk and OrCam, and there's so many others that um, that that are being utilized across the world. Um, but there's also some low tech that in countries that low tech is needed we have those solutions whether the drip irrigation technology whether desalination technology solar panels um like i was talking to colleagues of mine and i was like and we had a discussion on energy and i was like how do you heat water so what do you mean it's central heating in the building and i'm like Okay, but if you don't have a central heater in the building and it costs, it's on oil and, and, and all that, um, why not have it clean? As a kid growing up, ever since I remember myself, we've had a solar panel on our roof to heat up our water. No need to use electricity, no need to use oil, all those fossil fuels that are just unnecessary to be used. And think about how much if every person has on the rooftop a solar panel to heat up the water. Incredible, and it's so simple. This is not, this is low tech. This is not high tech. This is not something that you need to invest millions of billions of dollars. At. No, this costs very a very low sum of money. Wow, and and and, and that's extremely simple. And those simple solutions are what makes all the difference. You need simple solutions for difficult problems. That's the that's the equation. Difficult problems can be can be solved sometimes by very simple solutions. And solar panels. Yeah. It's, solar it's only problems. solar. It's only solar panels. Yeah. So so those issues we can you know there's so many uh, so many examples. There's so much good work that is being done. Um, it's fun It's it's You know it's, it's just amazing To see these people Go around To the toughest places In the world And bring joy And happiness And, and life And really life The, the, the vision of Ben-Gurion To and this, the, the desert bloom We're doing it On a worldly scale We took it literally Word by word And make it into Our foreign policy yeah. What's better than that?
0: It's incredible. Now, Nadav, I don't want to take you away from your very important work for too long. So, uh, I'd like to just finish with: in the beginning, you did such a, an amazing job of, you know, introducing the idea of Jerusalem love and loving Jerusalem, loving Israel. Uh, you mentioned, you know, how living in Jerusalem really impacted you and, and the city life. Now you move from one city to another. Um, what?
1: I did live in Tel Aviv, in between, I have to say. Oh, you lived but, in Tel Aviv? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. In between New York and Jerusalem, I had a stint in Tel Aviv, but yeah.
0: Well, that's uh. that's very <laughs> exciting. In When you were in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. what what did you love so much? You mentioned before the interview that like... I think the diversity. This, yeah.
1: The diversity of the city. The fact that you walk and it's very similar to New York in that sense, that you walk and you see every possible nationality, every possible... Skin color, race, religion, um, in the street, it touches you everywhere you go. Um, Korean people singing Christmas carols on Ben Yehuda. Yes, yeah, you know, for, as uh, one of the things that are the most far from us is Christianity. Islam, we we see it every day almost. 20% of the Israeli population is Arab the vast majority of them are Muslim the, there's a small tiny minority of Christians within it within the Arab population of Israel but you don't see that Christianity in the street but living in Jerusalem, seeing on the Via de la Rosa the pilgrimage the Christian pilgrimage um, with the cross it's incredible and you know they pass Next to an ultra-Orthodox ultra Hasidic family in the old city of Jerusalem, and the next block is an observant Muslim family. And, and all that mixture is what makes Jerusalem so beautiful. Um, that diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of belief, um, is, is really what empowers the city, I think, eventually. Um, it's people its people and the people that yawn for it you know, Jerusalem is something that like I said in the beginning is not for Jerusalem Jerusalem is for all Um, and I think it's time that we also think about it that way Um, it is Israel's capital it's no news it's been my capital since I was born and it will continue to be Israel's capital. And it will continue to play a major part in the world. And like it is now, it's going to continue to be diverse. And that acceptance of all within the city will continue. And that what empowers me. Um, to see that, it's great.
0: It's, it's so beautiful. Um, And I guess with that, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Wow, that's my pleasure. Like, I can't even... um, I'm speechless. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. Once again, that was Nadav Yasod. Thanks so much, Nadav. It was really awesome to have a conversation with you. And that will just about do it. Thank you all so, so much for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next week and hopefully every week following. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter is coming on soon, our website, which is WordPress right now, uh, but hopefully, God willing, we'll upgrade to, to Wix or something a little nicer. Um, so you can look forward to that. And I just want to give some thank yous um, for sure to my parents for, for their love and support and my Aunt Alana and Uncle Leon Cohen and my cousins, uh, Dylan Cohen and, and Jade Katz and Jade's husband, Tony, for all their support and feedback. And my aunt, Evelyn Schwartzman Whitehill and my other aunt, uh, Diane Samuels, uh, thanks everyone so much for all their love and feedback, and to you know for sure the rest of my family and friends for for all their support and ideas. And I hope everyone will stay involved uh, and continue to contribute. It's really just uh, such an honor and a privilege to you know get to have everyone um, you know include their voice and advocate for Israel uh, and show their love for Israel. So thank you. Um, in order to Close out. We're going to feature a song by an Israeli artist every week. Um, and this week's feature is a friend of mine and a co worker. Uh, we work together at the School for Cre- School for Creative Judaism. Um, director, shout out Misha Shulman. Um, Misha's an amazing boss, and this is such an awesome school where there are lessons of Torah, and Judaism, and Hebrew, and the teachers are all like amazing artists, and musicians, uh, and it's really just such a pleasure to work with all of them, they're all really awesome, and and Bill does great work uh, with, with Bill's, Bill, with the Bills, um, Bill Magliff. Uh so thank you all so much, um, this is Eyal's song, Eyal Chai, um, Eyal, again, a really great teacher, and a very sweet guy, an awesome, awesome person. Uh, really a pleasure to to work with. And his song is You and I, and it's featuring Margaret Glaspie. And again, it's Al Chai. And the album is Practiced in Catharsis, which came out in 2014. And the genre is folk. He's uh, very, has quite a range of uh, different musical styles, and really a pleasure to listen to. Um, so I look forward to featuring more israeli artists in future episodes feel free to to contribute um, your music or to recommend or ask for a certain artist uh, we're really looking forward um, to having some beautiful israeli music so it, it can be in english um, or it can be in hebrew or arabic or amharic any language um, and israeli artists so thank you all so much for listening this is such a great privilege and honor and i really look forward to uh, moving forward and um, one last shout out: the the women's march was really amazing yesterday. I had the honor of uh, marching with the Zionist movement, um, which is amazing. You know, shout out to Amanda Berman, who organized an incredible organization for for female Zionists and supporters. Uh, also to uh, Chloe Valdery. Um, awesome awesome israel advocate and amazing person and so many others um i'm really sorry if i forgot anyone i didn't mean to feel free to to let me know um you definitely can and i can i can edit the episode and add you in um so thank you so much to everyone and of course to hashem um to to god um for for everything and for for blessings and It's really, um, really appreciated. So thank you so much for listening and hope you'll tune in next week. Again, this is Jerusalem, and I'm your host, Jake Gillis. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Next week, we'll be highlighting the second half of our name, Jerusalem, with the love part. Um, we're going to have, am so excited, um, we're going to have the uh, co-founder of J-Swipe, David Yaris, And he's going to talk about love and relationships and J-Swipe and connections, bringing people together and his experiences in Israel. So definitely look forward to that. We can't wait. Please send your ideas, your questions, and we'll try to ask as many as we can. So thank you. Of Rabbit 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 Records, and he is accompanied by Margaret Glaspie. So, this is you and I, Hey Al Chai, featuring Margaret Glaspie. Enjoy, really a beautiful song, soothing.
3: It'll be too late No, I won't wait for you again You and I together could have been so great And yet you failed to understand Darling, I'm not just can't see. Why is it the way it has to be? Holding other hips to forget your song. And then you turn to tell me that I'm wrong. Darling, been a love song about your smile The one you send me when you see me from above We should have been together singing duet But I am singing solo with no accompaniment it must have been a something about your pretty face Instead I go and see you with someone